for Thursday, December 10th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, COVID-19 has only been with us for about a year and vaccines against it are already being approved for use. To know that science has been able to mobilize this rapidly is really unbelievable. Jody Guest from Emory University's School of Public Health joins me to dive into the basics of the vaccines as U.S. regulators consider giving them the green light. That's next. free. And at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. U.S. regulators could decide this week to give emergency approval to a COVID-19 vaccine from drug maker Pfizer. They'll consider another vaccine from Moderna next week. There's a lot to know about how the vaccines work, how safe they are, and how long they might offer protection. And here to help me try to cover as many of the basics as we can is Jody Guest from Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health. So let's start here. These COVID-19 vaccines, are they safe? Have they been shown to be safe? And how do we know that? So the two we're talking about right now are the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. They are both a very similar kind of vaccine. They're called an mRNA vaccine, and they are both very, very safe from the data that we have from tens of thousands of participants in the trials for both of those vaccines. So when we do vaccine trials, we collect all the information about safety and side effects, and that's how we know about the safety. And then the efficacy, how well they work, we also know from these vaccine trials. And that's what the FDA is looking at. What is the work that goes into making sure these vaccines are safe? And do we know that they're safe for everyone? So the work goes into it in different phases. So the first parts of a trial are going to be very small numbers to make sure they're safe. And as people get more comfortable with the safety of it, those who are watching all the data, they're going to add more people into every phase of vaccine trial. And every single thing that you might have going on from a health perspective during a trial is recorded. And that's how they keep track of it. Do we know that this would also be safe for for children? We don't know that yet. These trials have not included children. They've not included pregnant and lactating mothers. And they've not had enough people who are immunocompromised to know how well they'll work in those populations. 
You've mentioned these trials have also shown these two vaccines, one from drug maker Pfizer, one from drug maker Moderna, have also been shown to be effective. What does that mean and how do we know that these vaccines work? So that was the primary goal of these trials was to look at the effectiveness of these vaccines in people. How well will it keep you from getting COVID-19 and how well will it keep you from getting severe COVID-19 if you do get it? And so both of the trials found greater than 94% of the people who got the active vaccine did not get COVID-19 during follow-up. 100% of them did not get severe COVID-19 if they did actually get the virus. Do we know if these vaccines would actually prevent someone from transmitting the coronavirus to someone else? We don't know that yet. And so that is not something these trials have been able to look at yet. And so that is still a question, which is why even if you get the vaccine, you still need to be wearing a mask until enough people in the community have had the vaccines. You mentioned that these are use a technology that relies on mRNA. This is a specific part of the virus's genetic code. Talk to me a little bit more about the kind of process by which this vaccine works in someone's body once they get it. So these vaccines, neither one, have any form of attenuated or live coronavirus in it. So we want to be clear about that. They do not contain the virus. They contain messenger RNA, which is actually going to produce this spike protein that you see on the outside of a coronavirus. And it's going to teach your body when you put that spike protein in that that is something unusual. And the next time they see it, your cells want to mount a response to it. It's training your body to see those spike proteins as something that they want to attack. You mentioned this vaccine doesn't have any coronavirus in it. Is this odd for a vaccine? My general sense, and I think the general understanding, is that this is what a vaccine is, injecting someone with attenuated or weakened uh, virus that you want your body to protect you from. That's correct. Most vaccines do have attenuated or weakened virus in them. These are very different from that perspective. And this technology has been around. This is the first time we're seeing big vaccines that we want everyone in the globe to have are using this particular form of technology. How does one actually go about getting a vaccine? My understanding is that there aren't going to be a lot of doses immediately available for individuals. So someone listening to this, someone watching this, they think, oh, I want to get a vaccine. How do they do that? Well, it's going to be rolled out in phases, and there's still a lot of planning to happen. We've never seen a logistical rollout of a vaccine the way these are going to be done. The first phase of people who will be eligible to get these vaccines will be healthcare workers and those living and working in long-term care facilities. And after that, there's still some speculation about where the next groups will be. It will probably be essential workers, those over a certain age and those with underlying health conditions that put them at increased risk for COVID-19. It's going to be a few months until we see this being available to the general population for sure. Who makes the decision about how this line forms, the order in which these different groups actually have access to these vaccines? So the CDC hosted a panel of vaccine experts and public health experts for the United States last week, and it was an open forum for people to watch, and they put forth policies. There is still some conversation about if this will be a national strategy or if this will be state-specific. 
but the vaccines will be rolled out to the states and then the states will manage it from there is the current idea behind it. But the CDC is really the group that's putting together all the experts to determine the higher risk groups and the order in which we should go. I think that order will speed up though as we see more vaccines get approved. How many doses is someone gonna need? Is this a one and done like you might expect with the flu shot? How would this actually work? Sure, so both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines need a booster. Both of them have a booster about 28 days after your first vaccine. So it's going to be important that you get that second one. That first one has some really great efficacy in preventing COVID-19, but it is not at the maximum it will be after you get the second one. So not only are you going to need a second one, you're going to need to know which vaccine you got. So if you got the Moderna one, you need a Moderna follow-up. If you got Pfizer, you need a Pfizer follow-up. So that's going to be really important to keep track of all of that. Does it really matter which one uh, an individual might get, the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine? And is that even a decision someone will be able to make? I don't know that anyone will be able to make that that decision. I think it will be the ones that are available to you. Um, These two are really very, very similar. The majority of the difference between the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine are actually about the way they need to be stored. Talk to me a little bit about that. I think this is maybe a chance for us to talk about some of the challenges with distributing a vaccine. My understanding is that the Pfizer vaccine in particular has to be stored at super, super low temperatures. That's right. So it's got a very um, significant cold storage chain. It needs to be in a negative 70 freezer and it needs to stay there until it's um, ready to be dosed. The uh, Moderna vaccine also is kept in that kind of cold storage, but it does have a longer period of time where it can come out of that. And so it's going to be slightly easier to um, vaccinate individuals in other places that don't have a negative of 70 cold storage. So these two vaccines, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, we know they need a booster. We know they need a second dose. That makes me wonder how long after someone receives, say, an initial dose, can they expect some kind of protection? Right. So you have some protection after your first one. It's about 50 to 60 percent effective after that first one. It bumps up to over 90 percent after your second one. And then it's about a 14 day time period to see that original immune response. So after your second booster, you want to see another 14 days and you're probably at your peak at that point in time. So it's 28 days plus another 14 days and you'll see your peak prevention at that point. And how long that lasts, we still don't know. So we don't know if this is going to be a vaccine that you get once in your life, or if it's gonna be a vaccine that we're going to need to dose again later and what the frequency of that will be. When will we know that? My general sense is that the way these vaccines are being approved is under this emergency authorization, which is a, a lower bar that the FDA has for approval than say a normal vaccine. With that is going to come additional observation of of these patients, right? To see how long this protection lasts? That's right. The individuals who are in the vaccine trials now are going to continue to be observed for data about this. And so we will, while we are giving these vaccines to the general population, we are still following those who are in the trials to find out how long your immunity does last from these vaccines. This is... Did you wash your hands? I'm Sam Whitehead speaking today with Jody Guest from Emory University. 
we're discussing some of the basics of the two coronavirus vaccines that could be approved for use in the U.S. here in the coming weeks. With this news of vaccination, I think there's this very practical question that people are probably thinking about, which is, after I get one of these, when can I stop doing all these things that I'm tired of doing? Wearing a mask, uh, avoiding large gatherings, not hugging my friends and family. What's your sense of that? How, when, when can we expect personal behavior to start to be able to change after, say, someone gets a vaccine? So what we're striving for is vaccine-oriented herd immunity. That's the sort of herd immunity we need uh, to protect all of us. And most of the numbers show that we want somewhere upwards of 70% of the population to be vaccinated. And at that point in time, we're going to see enough herd immunity that we can probably go back to some semblance of normalcy without all of the restrictions of, of how we get together and masking. Until we get to 70%, we should really be continuing to wear a mask to protect everyone around us. But that's not a lever. It's not a threshold that once you hit it, we'll all be fine. It will improve every single percent of people who get vaccinated. As it goes up, we will start to see less and less COVID-19. Do we have any sense at, at this point how long into 2021 it might take to reach that point, to reach this point of, of potential herd immunity? It really is going to be how quickly we can start vaccinating and so how quickly the logistics of getting the vaccine out. A lot of people have been very appropriately saying a vaccine being approved is fantastic, but it doesn't work until we vaccinate people. And so we need to get into people's arms, and um, which does mean we need a lot of trust about these vaccines. I really hope that by the um, second or third quarter of 2021, we will see the general population receiving this vaccine. And the more people we see getting it, the quicker we will get to that herd immunity number of about 70%. How much of a challenge do you think it's going to be to get people to trust that these vaccines won't hurt them enough to take them? I think as you see the first groups that we're not in trials taking it. Um, I believe that will help with a trust, but there is no doubt that the communication about these vaccines has not always been fruitful in gaining trust. It, and that is from both the idea of these being rushed, which is not particularly accurate way to describe how quickly these vaccines have been produced. It is not that the science behind them was rushed. It is that the red tape to move from phase to phase of these trials that part was diminished. So we put up the infrastructure to be able to move quickly through these trials, but not at the expense of good science. And it's really important that we consistently talk about that. Additionally, we need to be very careful and understand that there are large communities who have very good reason to not trust the medical community based on generations of of being taken advantage of. And so we need to work on the trust in these communities. We need to be doing that anyway, regardless of COVID-19. But it's particularly important now as we are asking people to believe in a vaccine um, in a way that we haven't asked people to do previously. And, and just to make that really explicit there, I mean, these are black and brown communities that you mentioned have been you know, exploited by medical science in, in the past. There's this uh, odd kind of intersection where now these are the groups and in, in some ways who are the most uh, heavily impacted by this pandemic. 
we've seen COVID-19 really take advantage of disparities in healthcare and education and work status and the privilege to be able to stay socially distanced at home. And so these are communities that are at increased risk for COVID-19 and increased risk for bad outcomes from COVID-19. So our black and brown communities are exactly where we want this vaccine to go. And so we need to really work on our trust issues in these communities, for sure. Are there some common misconceptions about these vaccines people need more information about, people need to be kind of set straight on? I think there are a couple. Um, The first is that this vaccine does not change your DNA. It will not do that. It is only inserting a small messenger RNA particle that looks like a spike protein. It's not going to do any permanent changes to your personal DNA. So that's the first. The second is that that these were rushed and that there's not good science behind it. I don't believe that is correct. And the FDA would not be approving it if that was the case. There is a lot of support for these vaccines from those who've reviewed all the data and we need to trust that they are going to do the right thing for all people and that they're not going to be giving us a vaccine that would be dangerous. I'm wondering about kind of specific what if questions here. So do we know if, say, I've already had COVID-19, do I need to get a vaccine? That's a fantastic question. And the idea currently is that, yes, you would still benefit from getting the vaccine. We know you can get COVID-19 again. It is not common, but it does happen. And we have good documented evidence of it happening. And so there will be the opportunity for those who've already had COVID-19 to get this vaccine. These vaccines are getting emergency approval. I would imagine the work is still happening to get them full approval from the FDA. What what does that process look like going from emergency use authorization, this kind of very specific kind of approval the FDA gives, to the kind of normal approval we might expect a, a vaccine to get? So the emergency use authorization is what triggers the ability for vaccine to be distributed. So it can't be sent to anyone until we get that EUA. Um, At the same time behind that, the trials are continuing. Data continues to be collected. And when they reach additional thresholds of information, longevity of people who've had the vaccine, following them over time, they will consistently collect all of this data and continually present it to the FDA. And at some point in time, there will be a threshold where the FDA will move this from emergency use authorization to formal approval. What do we know about side effects here? I mean, we've seen these vaccines are now being administered in some parts of the world, Canada, the United Kingdom. What do we know about the side effects? Yeah, so it was really exciting to see the first dose administered in the UK a couple of days ago. The side effects are somewhere, they're being described as somewhere between what you get from the flu vaccine and what you would get if you're in an older age group from a shingles vaccine. So some um, site tenderness from where the vaccine actually goes. Most of the side effects are side effects you see after the second dose, not after the first addition to site injection um, soreness, it can be fatigue. You can run a fever for about a day. There's some lymphadenopathy, so your lymph nodes might get swollen. Um, Some people have some sweats from it. Um, So mild to moderate vaccine-oriented side effects. Those side effects are actually an outward sign that your immune system is responding. So while you might not enjoy them, they are actually a positive benefit of this vaccine starting to work. We have only known about this pathogen for 
not even a full year. <laughs> and, and, and here we are this week expecting the FDA to grant emergency use authorization to a vaccine to fight it. How are you feeling about this moment? It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's amazing to be living through a pandemic. It's, a, it's um, been very interesting to be an infectious disease epidemiologist during a pandemic, for sure. But it was really emotional watching the first vaccine delivered this week to a woman in the UK to know that science has been able to mobilize this rapidly is really unbelievable. Um, this Pfizer vaccine was actually done in March and it, that was available because of all the work that people do all the time, just predicting what we might need. That forecasting cannot be underestimated and how important that's been for us to get to this milestone in 12 months. It's really unbelievable. I hope everyone in the audience will take advantage of the science behind this and the need to be vaccinated so that we can all be really safe and we can all get back to some level of normalcy. Jody Guest is an epidemiologist at Emory University. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.